This is Our Anxiety Stories, the Anxiety Canada podcast with John Bacon. This is the place where people from all walks of life share their anxiety stories to remind you that you are not alone. If you have an anxiety story you'd like to share, contact us at anxietycanada.com slash ouranxietystories. Hi, I'm Mark Antrak, and you're listening to Our Anxiety Stories, the Anxiety Canada podcast that can be found on anxietycanada.com or any of the major streaming platforms. Today, I'm talking to Dr. Andrea Iaboni, who is a geriatric psychiatrist and scientist at Toronto Rehab as part of the University Health Network in Toronto and an associate professor of psychiatry at the University of Toronto. She is also the co-lead on a project tasked by the Canadian Coalition for Senior Mental Health to develop clinical guidelines for the assessment and treatment of anxiety in older adults. Hi, Andrea. Hi. How's it going today? Oh, it's great. Thanks. <laughs> Excellent. So we'll start this interview as we always do on this podcast. Uh, what is your anxiety story? I have two anxiety stories, if that's okay. Absolutely. <laughs> I hope I'm not ruining your format. But not at all. <laughs> my, my first anxiety story is, is really um, what... Uh, the work I do as a geriatric psychiatrist. So I've uh, been practicing for more than 15 years. I see older adults every day in a lot of different settings and everywhere I go, whether it's hospital or rehab center or in the community or long-term care, I see older adults with anxiety. Uh, And the truth is I love um, working with older adults with anxiety. I find it very rewarding. Mm -hmm. I really enjoy helping people find ways to cope with their anxiety, to move past it and find ways to get back to things that are important and meaningful to them. So Mm -hmm. that's, that's my first anxiety story. And my second anxiety story is um, uh, as a family member of somebody, uh, an older adult with anxiety. Um, and that a few years ago, I uh, I got a phone call from my father uh, telling me that he had been having trouble sleeping. And actually, he'd been having trouble sleeping for a few months. And actually, he had a big bag of medications <laughs> that he had been prescribed, sleeping pills, things that he had got from the uh, over-the-counter. Um, and uh, none of them were working. And uh, he was really concerned about his sleep. Mm. Um, and so... Um, uh, it really had uh, some intense empathy then with uh, other family uh, caregivers that I had come across um, over mm-hmm. the years in terms of mm-hmm. having a family member who's struggling, but who's not really telling you very much. Here I am, right. a geriatric psychiatrist, right. and I find out about his his difficulties, you know, two months in after he's already seen a lot of doctors. Mm-hmm. And so and so that's my second anxiety to story is, is, is um, helping my dad through uh, a tough spot. Right. So really kind of seeing him go through the system, having to navigate his own mental health. Did this kind of prompt a lot of the motivation to to create some change in your role or? I mean, absolutely. Because, yeah, I mean, ultimately, you know, um, in talking to my dad, I came to understand that the source of his sleep problems was um, some anxiety he was having in relation to Mm -hmm. a transition, like he was downsizing his house of 30 years and um, and that had created a lot of anxiety and then subsequently his sleep problems. Um, but uh, that, you know, that had been missed through that whole time where he was getting sleeping pills um, prescribed mm. to him um, by the primary care providers. Um, so the real root cause of his issues wasn't being addressed. Um, and then, you know, um, I try to step, I think as a geriatric psychiatrist, I would have been able mm. to leap to the rescue. But of course, I, I wasn't going to care for my family member myself. I had to get him help and 
then facing the the inefficiencies in our healthcare system and how mm. slow things are and how you have to really advocate for someone. And even as a geriatric psychiatrist who knew the system, it mm. was still mm. not easy to get him the help that he needed at that time. So, so yes, a lot of uh, a lot of recognition of the challenges that that health um, that yeah. caregivers face when they're trying to help their an older adult. I could imagine just even in your professional role, navigating it from that lived experience of, I should know how to do this, or this should be easier. Why is it this difficult? And I'm, and I'm guessing that was kind of like an aha eye-opening moment for you. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it should be, it should be more straightforward. You know, um, it, mm. it should be recognized more quickly. It, the treatment steps um, should uh, be clear, you know, um, to take, but, mm-hmm. but they're, there aren't existing guidelines actually for treating anxiety in older adults. And so, so that's why we have, uh, you know, been able to get this project going and, um, and, uh, and work towards this. And so I guess that segues into to one of our kind of main questions here, which is why are these guidelines so important? Uh, Cause it sounds like they're quite novel or it sounds like they're addressing some issues that you're, that you've been identifying here. Yeah. You know, I, th- think that um, as a geriatric psychiatrist, one thing that I really believe is that anxiety is a bit different in older adults as it is, at, you know, through a lot of different stages of life. And um, one of the reasons is that um, there are a lot of transitions and changes that happen um, in later years um, from mm-hmm. retirement through to downsizing, um, through to losses that people experience and then health issues that may arise. Um, and so, so anxiety in older adults I'll, I'll signal really that it could signal a lot of different potential issues mm-hmm. that are are very um, specific in older adults, and that's why um, the guidelines are useful in terms of taking a primary care provider or another healthcare provider through through the sort of um, algorithm of what what might be going on in this person. Um, mm. Yeah, that's that's one reason why we want these guidelines. Um, Right. So just kind of offering some more structure, offering perhaps some information uh, from the sounds of it, where perhaps there might be some errors uh, among primary healthcare practitioners. Yeah. I mean, I think in it, but it's not, it's not straightforward in some ways. Right, I mean, a perfect right. example is the ways in which anxiety in older adults can interact with their health conditions, right? Mm-hmm. So you can have someone who's anxious because they have a new illness or a, a disability related to that illness. And that right. creates all kinds of difficulties adjusting. And so that's mm. one way, but then some, some chronic illnesses can actually produce symptoms of anxiety. So you can imagine like someone with um, lung disease, they might experience mm. a breathlessness, like a feeling like they can't get enough air. Right. And then that would set off all kinds of alarms in their brain and then can create panic-like experiences mm. for them. Um, and and so so there's two there, those are two different ways that anxiety and medical illness interact. The ways in which that anxiety influences people's ability to get treatments further, you know, if they're really anxious, they might not go to a doctor, they might not take their medications. Um, and uh, and there are even more ways, you know. So so and older adults have a lot of more comorbidities and and right. so and so there is that complexity. And so it's helpful, I think, to have guidelines that sort of lay some of that out and how to tease some of these issues apart. Gotcha. So would you say that prior to these guidelines being established, it was a little bit harder to disseminate some of these differences? Because it sounds like there might have been maybe some assessments that weren't as thorough or perhaps some diagnoses that might have been missed. 
Yeah, I think that, um, you know, it's, it's complicated, like I said. And so, so Mm -hmm. I think that, um, the the hazard is that someone, an older adult presents with anxiety, um, with one symptom, like, like my, you know, sleep problems or having trouble breathing and that the, it's either, um, dismissed as just anxiety or Mm. it's, um, it's just thought to be just the medical illness and the intersection with the anxiety is not seen. Mm -hmm. And so, um, just increasing awareness of, of how anxiety in older adults, um, uh, can interact with their medical conditions Mm -hmm. and also with things like medications. Um, so, we one of another reason for doing this is that treatments in older adults also need to be a little different. Um, right. Yeah, older adults are um, more vulnerable to certain side effects. They metabolize mm. drugs differently. Okay. Um, they may be on more medications, and then there are interactions, and there are mm. medications that actually can cause anxiety that older adults are more likely to be pres- prescribed. So, okay. so that's um, an important reason for having an older ad- anxiety old adult specific right. guideline i think right yeah and i mean like as far as the canadian population goes I, as far as i'm concerned the average uh, age is getting older and older with every passing year would you say yeah. that this is becoming a more prominent challenge and this is kind of why the guidelines are being created yeah you know i think that it's right our population is aging and um the number of specialists um, who specialize in older adults is not really increasing as quickly mm. as the population. There aren't many geriatric psychiatrists and geriatricians out there. And so making sure that the um, skills and the knowledge that we have um, can be shared, can be accessed um, more easily um, and through things like these guidelines, um, I think is really important. Okay. So from the perspective of our listeners, uh, perhaps someone who may have uh, someone that's older in their family who may be navigating some mental health challenges, how could some of this information or these guidelines be helpful for them or how could they use it, I guess is the question. Yeah, so um, the guidelines are kind of, there are two parts of them. One is the one that's really focused on the healthcare provider, which I kind of been talking about mostly here. But the idea is that we'll also have a version that is meant for an older adult or their caregiver to mm. read, to understand um, better what their symptoms are about um, and what some of the possible treatments might be and what some of the pros and cons of the different treatments are. I think um, one thing that we know is really important in anxiety is having information um, mm. because um information, uh, like what we would call, I guess, uh, education or psychoeducation, I think is a really important treatment for anxiety because Mm -hmm. I guess a lot of the anxiety arises out of not understanding or not knowing what's going on. And Mm -hmm. so you can actually kind of wipe that whole part of the anxiety out by providing, providing information. So I think, um, the hope is that, that the guidelines will will fill in that gap a little bit for, for family members and older adults as well. I can certainly attest to the impact of just having to normalize or educate someone on, say, an intrusive thought they're having and it not meaning who they think they are or just having to say, yeah, like this is OCD or yeah, like this is what anxiety is or how it manifests. It's just kind yeah. of normalizing that and being able to give them that understanding. Yeah. I mean, the example of someone who's having trouble breathing, right? Just saying you're, there's mm-hmm. two things going on here. You're right. There's You have some lung problems. But then on top of that, you have this anxiety about your lung problem and the symptom and it's causing these alarms in your brain. Giving that information can then suddenly be like, oh, I understand now. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not quite as scary, not quite as um, threatening as it right. was. So, right. yeah. So I think ang- information is a huge component of helping uh, anxiety. 
Um, but I think also some concrete strategies as well. We're hoping that the caregiver information that will come out of this will be really specific about like how, what you can do uh, mm. to help support someone with anxiety. And that will, remains to be seen exactly what that will be, but um, we're, we're kind of coming towards the end of the guidelines and, and I'm hopeful that, that, that it'll be helpful in that way. Gotcha. And I imagine too, like as the, the guidelines uh just i guess the layman's person like myself it gives a bit of an opportunity to see what we could advocate for or also where perhaps we could offer some guidance in case uh those aren't being followed yeah abs- i mean so we I, i've already talked a bit about medications but obviously there's mm-hmm. a lot more than medications of that course, help with course, it. Yeah. i don't want people to leave thinking that medications are the only treatment that we oh, there yes, are a lot of, of psychotherapies out there mm-hmm. there are things like different skills that people can learn um, mm-hmm. that can help them manage their anxiety better. And so, um, you know, knowing what those are, knowing that there is like evidence behind them, like it's amazing the the studies that have been done that have shown, you, you know, even in older, you know, e- even studies that are specific to older adults. Because I think that's sometimes what happens is people say, Oh, you know, that, that works, but my, you know, my grandmother is not going to do mindfulness, <laughs> you know, like they, mm. they sort of discount the idea that an older adult could um, benefit from um, a more, you know, recently advocated for treatment, something that may not mm. be in their wheelhouse. Um, but the evidence shows that older adults are actually able to learn mindfulness mm. practices, um, mm-hmm. you know, and that they're able to benefit from them as just one example. So I think there's sometimes a little bit of ageism can creep into, you know, in terms of what we offer older adults, you know, believing that there may not be, you know, psychotherapy wouldn't be what would interest them. But but we do have good evidence in that area that it helps. Yeah, excellent, excellent. And I guess for perhaps uh, any of our listeners that may be in that older demographic, do you have any words of advice or any words of encouragement if perhaps they're thinking about uh, seeking support for their mental health or they're not sure if they have mental health challenges? Yeah, I guess I would say, um, I think most people are, are have some insight into the idea that things aren't going well, that, that, um, you know, usually that the, that they're not able to do what they were once able to do and that there's the barrier is, is more in their head than in their body. Um, mm-hmm. and, um, and so I think the first important thing is to actually t- talk to someone. Don't, um, you know, and and it, find that emotional support that that person that can help you um, work out what's going on, um, and that will make it a little bit more obvious about what to do next. Um, that 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 hopefully, um, if it makes sense to go and connect with your primary care provider, mm. to reach out to a community support like a social worker or. Uh, someone that you trust um, to talk to about about the anxiety that you're facing, um, and and to be open to the idea that 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 you have anxiety and that there might be a way to get better. Because I think sometimes that's also a barrier is that the feeling like you're just stuck and that there's no way out. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. That there there are you know the treatments do help, um, and that so just you just have to acknowledging that piece around like the the hopelessness i guess of like why bother why should i nothing can help me but really you're you're sharing here if you think something's wrong reach out to someone that you trust someone that you think could help you and even if they are not the ones that can help you they can point you in the direction of someone that might be able to yeah yeah that's the hope <laughs> that, that, yeah. that that you find your way you know and and i think um and knowing 
how to bring it up with your primary care provider is also probably important. Um, you know, um, coming to them with some really specific information. You know, I think that the hazard is if you just say, I can't, I'm not sleeping, um, mm. then, you know, there's a very broad, <laughs> a lot of reasons why you might not be sleeping, but you could say, you know, this and this and this have been really preying on my mind lately. Um, I can't stop thinking about these things. It wakes me up in the middle of the night. Mm. It started this many weeks ago or this many months ago. Like, I think that kind of information um, really helps frame it for the family doctor that it's it's that it's really a mental health or an anxiety struggle mm. that you're having. And mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, thank you for these very insightful words. Truly, uh, Andrea, the work you're doing is so, so important. As we've talked about briefly, this is such a glazed over uh, part of our mental health care system oftentimes where the research is so underdeveloped. So it's amazing that there's work going into this. And thank you for your time today. Uh, truly, it means a lot to us. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, uh, signing off. Till next time. Thank you for listening to our anxiety stories. If you'd like to support this podcast or Anxiety Canada, go to anxietycanada.com.